0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Friends Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, channel 132. Welcome back to Behind the Markets. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. We're going to be talking... About the Fed, our guest is Tim Dewey, Professor of Economics at the University of Oregon and Chief U.S. Economist for SGH Macro Advisors. Please note, I'm a registered representative of Side Fund Services, Professor Siegel of the Supervisor Wisdom Tree. Discussion is not tied to the offer or sale of any investment product, and the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. Tim is a well-known Fed watcher, a friend of Behind the Markets. Tim, it's great to have you back on the program.
1: Thanks for having me back, Jeremy.
0: So it's been a big week for Fed watchers. Uh, we've got the Fed minutes. It's caused some shockwaves through the markets. What's your, what's your read of the, the current dynamics at the Fed? What the market's expecting, reacting to? What's, what's your response to the, the, the minutes?
1: Right, well, um, we've had a, for a long time a position that the Fed was going to hike rates in March of this year. And I think the, the minutes... Confirmed uh, that position at least, at least as long as the data flow continues as it has been. It looks like uh, I think people are generally now convinced, given those minutes and given how hawkish they were, and literally how how little mention of of, sort of dovish concerns we we saw in those minutes. I think it's increasingly view, realized that. The Fed made a very hard hawkish pivot uh, between the November and December meetings that uh, a number of factors, including strong job growth, low unemployment, uh, strong consumer demand, and of course, high inflation and high wage growth. All conspired to really bring bring the Fed to a, a new understanding of, of where policy should be headed, and that should be headed in a uh, you know dramatically uh, uh, you know, less accommodative direction than they had been going going into the November meeting.
0: Yep, and, to, and and so the markets have you know started pricing in a more aggressive timeline. How, how do you think the curve? What it's saying today, how how close to reality for the end of the year? Like, what do you think the actual path is going to be this year?
1: Well, I think uh, we're likely to get three rate hikes minimum, with an re- upside risk for four rate hikes. So, I, I see market, you know, market participants are, are generally in that in that place. Uh, I think the other question is somewhere along the way we're going to get uh, quantitative tightening. The Fed is going to want to start winding down its balance sheet that that grew so dramatically during the pandemic. But I think we're on the on the on the right path. I think the Fed has gotten expectations closer to where the Fed is. Uh, There's a high probability, last time I checked, about an 80% probability in in pricing the markets for a rate hike in in March. Um, I think the Fed is, is in fact, going to hike rates. uh, But, of course, I can't tell you all the things that might happen between uh, now and March. And so an 80% probability seems reasonable given given the possibility, uh, I think, unlikely possibility that uh, the U.S. economy stalls out uh, with Omicron.
0: Yeah, so so the three to four is is uh, definitely what a lot of people are saying. When you, when you think of the inflation dynamics in the system, how are you? Certainly, the, the, the Fed's responding to inflation. Um, we had a podcast with Professor Siegel and um, former Vice Chair Don Cohn recently at the end of last year. Siegel was pushing Cohn to say, "Why is the Fed ignoring the money supply as an indicator of inflation?" That you know, and, and Cohn responded that. that the Fed is rightfully had been ignoring money supply, hadn't been working. He's still focused on, Siegel's still very much focused on the money supply as being a big, strong inflationary impulse over the coming 12, 24 months, maybe longer. What's your sense on how inflation is going to settle out through this cycle here?
1: So one thing I'm, I'm watching is how fast wages and, and jobs are growing. So basically nominal spending capacity and nominal spending capacity on the part of households has been growing, I want to say eight to 9%, maybe a little bit more uh, at an annualized rate in recent months. Uh, that's a very, very fast pace of, of spending capacity, uh, not quite double of what we saw going into the pandemic. So that to me is a Significant impulse moving its way through the economy, and as long as we continue to see wage and salary growth at sort of that that kind of, of a level, uh, I think there's going to be upward pressure on inflation. Now, some of the some of the impacts that we probably have seen are, are are probably in fact transitory, uh, but there's a big difference between you know whether inflation settles out closer to three three and a half percent or two percent. And right now, I would say all these risks uh, for the inflation outlook are are still on the upside. Uh, I know that there's a lot of hope that we'll see better numbers here after we get through the next month or two. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little bit much more cautious on that, uh, just because I can see sense uh, in in the in the data that this this expansion we're having does not appear to be slowing down at at, at this point, uh, and there's still. Uh, considerable you know, wage and salary growth occurring. And, and also, I think firms at the beginning of this year are going to be uh, trying to aggressively push through price increases, uh, particularly as you get to the turn of the year and firms really do have to reevaluate their direction going forward here. I think it's going to be harder and harder for, for firms, particularly not just on good side, but also the services side, to continue to live as if this was 2017 uh, and they're going to have to uh, adjust pricing appropriately. And when that happens, I think there's going to be upward pressure on, on wages because uh, the labor market is hot and workers are, I think, are, are going to be unhappy that their real wage gains are, are eroding. Um, again, for signs that inflation is going to ease back, I'm I am watching uh, the, the the combination of job growth and, and, and wage growth to see you know really what can households sustain uh, as far as you know this this kind of spending numbers that we've been seeing in recent months.
0: Yeah, so the I, I when you think about that wage growth issue as sort of one of the next next takers of, of inflation. Have you seen just a rotation? And certainly, there's been a lot of commentary on sort of high wage people versus low wage people, and the and the big growth coming up at the at the lower end. Is that a trend you see continuing? Uh, And and how do you see that those dynamics playing out?
1: Yeah, so my my concern here has been, yes, we've seen these these significant increases at the lower end. I think that that will eventually put some upward pressure, really, on the rest of the wage spectrum. Now, now this is again an, an issue that I'm, I'm watching carefully to see if if that really plays out. Um, but once you get uh, some of these you know, warehouse jobs that are starting around twenty dollars an hour. Uh, that really starts to get into your, you know, the lower end of maybe the next, next spectrum of worker. Uh, And, and once you do that, you put more pressure on the entire uh, uh, wage spectrum. And I think that is really still a process that we're just at the front end of it. I know there's a lot of concern, a lot of belief that, no, this is, this is something where we've already moved through and now we're normalizing. My, my position is well, that might be true, but but when I look at say the gap between job openings and um, uh, the number of unemployed, that keeps widening. Uh, and to me, what that's telling you is that we're really only early into this process, and we're seeing a lot of what I would call late cycle dynamics, such as that one where where you have you know this big gap of of, of distance between you know the number of job openings and and the number of unemployed. So I, I still tend to think, unless things slow down quite sharply here, that we're really you know, still on the on the, on the leading edge of some of these issues, not not really past them. Uh, we'll know, uh, you know, within the next six months uh, how much that's the case. And in fact, when you think about the Fed, that's what I'm kind of transitioning my thought process to. I kind of think most of the near term uh, issues are. Uh, already set, so likely the Fed's going to raise at least in March, uh, maybe in June. Uh, or do QT in two, June, so start the winding down asset purchases, something like that. I think we're in a phase where the Fed over the next six months is going to be reducing the accommodation in the system. I think how the data falls out over the next six months will really be more important for what happens in the back half of this year. Do they go through with aggressive QT? Do they go through with more than two hikes and go to the three that, that they've projected or the four that, that I think the risks are drawing? Are, are are, um, lie toward.
0: Let me reintroduce our guests. We're talking with Tim Dewey, who's the chief economist for SGH Macro Advisors, a very well-known Fed washer. Uh, Tim, on you know, the, as you think about beyond the Fed funds rate as a key interest rate, I mean, there's been a lot of focus on the entire curve. And you know, the tenure has shot up uh, pretty dramatically from just the start of the year and a few trading days. Um, from 150 to over 170. That's created a lot of market rotation. How do you think about the shape of the curve over this cycle? Uh, Professor Siegel has said he thinks the Fed could invert the curve this cycle and we shouldn't be worried about it like we've been in the past. Do you think we'll invert the curve? What do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, traditionally, if we look at uh, um, how these cycles play out, the Fed flattens the curve uh, over time. And so I haven't, seen reason to doubt that yet, uh, that we won't get the same sort of dynamic. Um, now, what I'm watching for is that as the Fed gets closer into raising interest rates uh, and actually starts raising interest rates, that the curve flattens, but also lifts up. Uh, so, so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on as, as my baseline scenario of, of what's likely to happen going forward here. That's um, – uh, I don't think, though, that the Fed wants to invert the curve. Um, my, my, my kind of view in retrospect is that the Fed did a fairly good job in the last cycle um, when, when all was said and done uh, by keeping one eye on the Phillips curve relationship and then another eye on the yield curve. And that when the yield curve flattened out and started to invert uh, in 2018 and early 2019, the Fed reversed course and started to uh, cut rates. I think that was probably the right move uh, uh, in stabilizing uh, the economy at that point in time. And I think that they're gonna probably want to do something similar. They're not gonna want to invert the curve. Now where it would become complicated is if for some reason we got deeper into this cycle and instead of, you know, the economy slowing down as expected, you know, as you tighten policy or raise interest rates, uh, you know, you flatten out the curve, but uh, output was still growing very briskly and there were still significant inflationary pressures. That I think would be a, an interesting challenge uh, for the Fed if they actually had to raise interest rates enough to create a recession uh, that, that they'd be basically forced to invert the curve. Uh, I don't think they want to do that. You know, this this is a topic I think we'll be able to talk about maybe in twenty twenty three, maybe twenty twenty four. I don't think this is imminent. I think right now our position is my, my, my position is that you know the Fed's going to start raising interest rates. <clears throat> Traditionally, in the past, that has led to a flattening of the yield curve. Uh, that's you know, that's what I would anticipate over time as well. At the same time. Uh, again, I, I do think that there's plenty, there's room still to lift up the yield curve as uh, um, uh, as as that tightening progresses. And the,
0: and the negative yields we see in sort of the inflation adjusted markets, so like the ten year tips market, do you think we're going to get back to a positive yield environment? Do you think we'll stay so negative over time? Like, what's gonna what's gonna happen in, in the longer term outlook there?
1: You know, it seems. <laughs> It seems unlikely to me that we're going to be persistently uh, uh, with these negative persistently holding on to these negative real interest rates. Uh, you know, traditionally we see them rise during during a, a tightening cycle. So I think that there's room for real interest rates to <laughs> move higher. Uh, now, do they, they, they do they get back to pre pandemic levels? And I think that's that's really still an open question here. Uh, as to, you know, where is this cycle going to end up? Uh, there's obviously this view, uh, that's this completely reasonable that, you know, we've been on a long downward trend for, uh, terminal rates, that there's a safe asset shortage, that there's, uh, too much cash, not enough, um, uh, um, assets to, to, to buy with those, with that cash. Uh, Et cetera, et cetera. Some story along those lines that suggests, you know, we're going to end up with interest rates out of the cycle that are not back to uh, the peak of the last cycle. And I think that's a reasonable baseline case. Uh, Then we're going to have to start thinking about, again, what could change such that that situation um uh, different so if, for example if we do get sustained inflation and if the fed isn't willing to create a recession in order to control that inflation then under those circumstances do you see the long end of the yield curve um uh, start to um uh in uh start to rise and sort of sort of a steepening um uh, that would possibly come later in the cycle Now. Those are things that we could talk about. I think later in the cycle. Um, right now, you know, that kind of discussion is, is is kind of premature. I think you know, over the next year, we know what the Fed intends to do, and we know what we're watching for to see how much that 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 plan works or doesn't work.
0: How uh, I know you're the chief U.S. economist, but as you think about sort of the global, one of the things keeping rates low around the world is sort of this global liquidity pool and the low rates globally any uh as, as you think about the global economy's impact on the u s uh, any part of that your forecast and, and how are you thinking about sort of central banks globally
1: yeah so uh, the the u s is is uh, i think you know compared to some other central banks ahead of this and compared to some other central banks you know behind this um, uh, you know, I think this, the U.S. Is, is clearly leading, for example, the ECB uh, on, on this direction. So, um, you know, from, from from the more global perspective, um, I what my current sort of thought or worry is to what extent do we sort of have more of the supply chain disruption narrative that comes out of um, uh, Omicron? Uh, particularly when we think of a country like China that is still trying to uh, maintain a zero COVID strategy, sort of in that sort of situation, that's where I'm kind of got my focus right now. Is you know how are those impacts um, uh, going to shape the U.S. economy going forward? Okay, um,
0: and from a markets perspective, anything you know is the markets reading things correctly? Like do you think the rotation uh, as it spills over from the you know the Fed to equities. Any any commentary on what's been happening in the in the markets from that rotation? Is it is it overreacting to the news? You think if it was it was it priced in, and then the equities are just you know making big moves on on top of that? Any any commentary there?
1: Yeah, I think that you know in the near term it's it's hard for. Um, investors or market participants to incorporate this idea of a more hawkish Fed without taking some of the heat off of of, of the equity market. Uh, I think you kind of have to introduce that concept over time. Uh, there's clearly a narrative that you know the Fed raises interest rates and we should sell stocks as a, as a result. And so I'm not I'm not terribly surprised to see that narrative play out. Uh, it traditionally has been the case that. The, the eventually you know may, may take a little bit but but after the Fed raises interest rates there's still really still upward movement to be made in, in equities and a lot of that really just has to do with the fact that if the Fed is still able to raise interest rates it's because the economy is growing uh, and if the economy is growing and uh, um, you know especially if there's if the economy is growing and there's some inflationary pressures the Fed isn't trying to you know create a recession to get rid of those pressures. Those those inflationary pressures, I think, will eventually get um, incorporated into corporate pricing power and then corporate earnings. Um, So, you know, I'm not terribly worried about some kind of major market setback uh, um, in the near term. I'm really, I mean, obviously, there can always be some kind of uh, um, uh, uh, some some kind of um, uh, short term uh, um, uh, setbacks, but as far as the longer term, what I'm really thinking about is you know, when do we get to a position where the economy is really faced with the question of recession? And I can't, I can't see that um, uh, at this juncture. That, for me, seems like it's a long, long ways off.
0: And this has been a great conversation. Uh, as you think about the different focuses, areas for SGH macro advisors, any closing thoughts on the types of services your firm's doing or any just other areas that uh, you think people should be focused on, thoughts from SGH macro in general?
1: All right so one one issue that we didn't touch upon all that much is uh, you know, clearly over the next six months, the Fed will be thinking about how do they want to manage the balance sheet and when do they want to start to unwind um, uh, the balance sheet and sort of the magnitude of that unwind. Uh, and that's still an open question, I think, from the minutes we know they're going to start uh, sooner. They're probably going to go faster and further than we saw uh, in the last cycle. So I think that's an area of interest that we should be thinking about over the next um, uh, s- several months. Uh, you know, SGH uh, macro advisors is a uh, broad-based advisory focusing on uh, ecb china u.s politics and u.s fed uh and, and um you are uh, welcome to uh and an urge to contact us uh sghmacro.com uh if you would like more information
0: very good looking forward to following all your work uh at SH Macro. it's been been a lot of fun I'd like to thank our producer uh patty hall our sound engineer is chris Chu beyond Simpkin. We'll be listening to you Behind the Markets on SiriusXM 132. You can follow us on our Behind the Markets podcast. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show.